Welcome to worship this morning. I am Dan Brown. I am the pastor here at Cameron United Methodist Church. And so whether you are worshiping here um, in the sanctuary in person or whether you're worshiping live online or whether you're listening later uh, today, either on the radio or um, via the internet, welcome to worship this morning. We're continuing our, wor- our uh, sermon series on faith and politics. And um, I remind you that the The goal of this series is not so that every Christian thinks exactly the same on every political issue, Uh, but my hope is, is when we get done with this, is that all Christians think more Christianly about political issues. And so today we will be um, looking at, um, as we engage in politics, as we engage in public issues, uh, how is it that we speak uh, we speak the truth with love. How do we speak with both conviction and compassion? And so um, I hope you'll stick around and uh, hear what Scripture has to say. Uh, right now, I invite you, whether you're at home or here, I invite you to turn your attention toward God, uh, to focus on God's presence among us, to come in anticipation and expectation that as we gather here or on the Internet, that we will encounter God, that we will encounter the Spirit's presence, and that that Spirit will continue to work deep within us, shaping us and forming us, so that we might be people who live in love like Jesus and make a true difference in the lives of other people. And so let us uh, begin our worship this morning um, in song and praise. Come set our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power. We seek your kingdom first, we hunger and we thirst, refuse to waste our lives, for your joy and prize. To see the captive hearts release, the hurt, the sick, the poor at least, we lay down our lives for heaven's cause. Away. 
together in an attitude of prayer ever present and ever loving God may we hear your words and put them into practice this day and every day love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself nothing else we do this day is more important than living out these words of Jesus amen
As I said, we're going to continue uh, this series on faith and politics. I'll remind you in the first week where we looked at this, uh, we looked at a passage from James uh, chapter 1, verse 19, uh, that reminds us that when we enter into the public sphere, uh, sphere when we enter into uh, issues that um, there might be um, uh, both sides of, it is important for us to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. It's, it's important for us uh, to be willing to listen to people who think differently than us um, to understand them, not just to uh, further our arguments. And then in week two, we took a look at uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8 and this, this call that Israel had uh, for a king, desiring a king or a leader to fight their battles and to lead their ways, and how often the kings led them into idolatry as a way for us to consider how sometimes we call for leaders and we end up idolizing them or allowing them to um, cause us to worship or put things above God, even our political parties. And last week, we began to unpack this thing. So after we've listened, after we have listened to others and been quick to listen and slow to speak, how do we begin to prepare ourselves to speak about particular issues? And so uh, we began to unpack... um, a passage from Ephesians chapter 4, which we're going to read here again today. But we also looked how it's important as we're listening for us to look at the whole of Scripture and in however we engage or act that we keep in mind as Christians, uh, we are called to a great commission, a great commission that calls us uh, to make disciples, to participate in inviting others to come along beside us to be followers of Jesus. We are called to, uh, to embrace the great command of loving God and loving others in all that we do, and we are called to live out the great requirement to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And so uh, today we're going to unpack further. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? How do we begin to speak after we have listened? And I wanted to read again from Ephesians chapter 4, 
beginning in uh, verse 12, and we're going to unpack this just a little bit more. Uh, But uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church at Ephesus, and um, he says, um, beginning in verse 11, actually, he says, uh, he gave some as apostles and prophets, that is, God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let us grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him, and it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one of us does their part. Everyone with ears to hear, may we hear and respond to the word of God uh, this day. Uh, I, uh, I love this passage. I think it has much to um, teach us this day. And I love the fact that it talks about speaking the truth in love because so often it seems like in our day to, today, we think that we can only do one or the other. We, can, uh, we either uh, love people and uh, let people do their own thing, or we speak the truth to people and, and instead seem to be more judgmental or condemning. And yet Scripture and Jesus show us a way to bring both love and truth together. As we began to talk about last week, it is important for us to understand uh, the biblical truths and the the biblical story and the ways of God that is the foundation for how we engage and we live life together in this world. And so in addition to the great commission and the great commandment and the great requirement, it's important uh, that we begin to understand the heart of God. And I think it's safe, all of us would say, we understand that there is a way of God, that there is a way of Jesus, and it's not about following this way so that we will not be condemned. It's not about following this way so so that we won't go to hell when we die. It's about following God's ways because it's the best way for humans to flourish in this world. And so we do know that there's a limits to how life in this world, um, how we can flourish in life in this world. And so I think we need to begin with understanding, again, some basics of Scripture. And I don't know, as I read Scripture, it seems clear to me that there is a, a biblical witness that supports uh, caring for the poor, and for the marginalized in the world. I think if we read Scripture, we can't help but see that this theme is throughout Scripture. In fact, it's what the prophets condemned Israel for not doing well. I think it's also to say, also fair to say that Scripture, if we look at the witness of Scripture over and over and over again, it affirms the dignity of life. Taking the life 
of a person um, is, is not something that can be done lightly. It is not something God ever intended to happen. I think if we look at the whole of Scripture, we will see that Scripture uh, speaks against discrimination. Uh, Scripture speaks against excessive uh, punishment or excessive retribution. In fact, in the Old Testament, the passage we often quote, an eye for an eye and an ear for an ear, was intended to keep people from uh, taking someone's life because the other person took their ear. It it was intended uh, to de-escalate. It seems clear to me that the biblical witness also says that God is a God of order and limits and restrictions that not everything goes if we are to have a world in which humans can flourish. And so it's important for us, I think, to to understand this, this scope of Scripture But it's also important for us to understand that while these general ideas, these general stances and limitations are clear in Scripture, I find it much harder in Scripture for us to find this detailed strategy for how are we to care for the poor? How are we to ensure the dignity of life? I look and look throughout Scripture hoping that I will find the perfect political platform for those issues. And I don't know about you, but I can't find in Scripture this detailed strategy that is guaranteed to work in all times and at all places. And therefore, I must conclude that we as followers of Christ aren't going to agree on the how of every one of those issues. But we can certainly agree that as we read Scripture, that those issues are important to God. And we ought to at least be struggling with how in the world do we bring about those issues? Because I believe if we follow the ways of God, we do and create a world in which people can flourish. And that ought to be our goal. And, and if you're wondering, if you, you, you may be wondering, well... Are you sure Christians can disagree on this? Well, let's take a, look at Je- take a look at Jesus' disciples. Have you ever looked at the people Jesus called to follow him? I mean, we know that there were zealots that he called to follow him. You know, the zealots, you know what the zealots were? They were uh, the Jewish people who said, the heck to working with um, those pagan people. Let's just overthrow them. Let's just overthrow the Roman government. Let's just overthrow the corrupt religious leaders. Uh, they were a people who were for overthrowing. And we also know one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Zealots and tax collectors didn't get along, if, if you don't understand that. But uh, tax collectors were those who were considered to be traitors by the Jewish people because they were working with the Roman government to collect Roman taxes to send to Rome. Both of these folks Jesus called to be part of his followers. It seems to me like Jesus was okay with people having different views and inviting them to come along and to learn his ways. And so I think it is important for us, while we understand that there's this trajectory of Scripture, that we will not all think alike on every issue 
And that is okay. And in fact, that's the way it should be. A part of what spurred me to uh, um, think that we need to talk more about faith and politics is my fear that the church is beginning to look more and more like the world. You know, I, I, earlier this week, um, Rob Portman, a, a Republican from Ohio, said he's not running for re-election again because, because it's his uh, feeling, his experience, is that people are being pushed uh, to the extremes in both parties. And that there is no longer uh, people who are seeking to work for the common good of all people. Instead, it's just a struggle between two different ways. Now, in part, I appreciate him standing up and saying that. But in part, my heart breaks because what he is saying, um, he generally considered to be a moderate Republican. And it seems to me what he is saying is there's no place for people in the middle, and I've just given up on the system, and so I'm just going to go home and let the extremes continue to rule. I fear this is what's happening in the church. I fear more and more in the church that we are dividing ourselves into camps and into tribes, and eventually the church will divide, and all we will hear is people from our tribe speaking into our ear, and neither tribe will live out, will live out the life that Jesus wants his people to live. Do you hear me? I fear more and more that we find it harder and harder to be in a community where people disagree um, passionately about issues with us and we feel like if they're not going to agree with us, we need to part ways. It breaks my heart that that seems to be the path that we are going down. This path that wants to call people who disagree with us unfaithful or ungodly because they choose a different strategy to enact these biblical um, directives. And so it is important for us to, to understand this if we're going to move forward, if we're going to make progress, if we're going to be a people that truly depict the life of Christ in the world. And, and when we do this, uh, this, Ephesian pastor, uh, this Ephesian passage tells us that when we do this, we will be less likely to be driven by winds and by those who seek to purposely mislead us. I look at many of the political issues today and it seems to me like, like we like to frame them in a way that creates these false dichotomies. These false choices uh, that we have to choose from, Right? We, we like to simplify issues and we like to boil them down. E either on the abortion issue, either you are anti-women or you're a baby killer. Which one would you prefer to be? You have a choice? Uh, we, we boil it down to these, these false dichotomies. When it comes to um, issues of, uh, of poverty or justice, uh, we boil it. It's like, do you believe do you believe in personal responsibility or do you want to reward people who are uh, uh, lazy and just don't want to do anything? 
And that's how, those are your two choices. That's how we frame it. We, we frame it in a way where there seems to be nothing in the middle. There doesn't be, are you red or are you blue? There's no such color as purple. And there's certainly no such color as green or yellow. Yes? Isn't that often how we frame issues and subjects today? We create these false dichotomies. And then what happens is we enter into our preferred echo chamber. And even if you're on Facebook, you know that Facebook and social media is designed so that if you like something over here, they give you more and more of that, right? If you like something over here, they give you more and more of that. So that before long, all you are hearing is people from your own echo chamber. That's how... That's how um, good Christian Democrats can begin with a view on abortion uh, that, that while they think in general abortion is wrong, uh, there may be some situations where they think abortion is needed to save a mother's life and they begin with an issue that says abortion should be safe and legal and rare. And as the rhetoric goes on and the false dichotomies, they move further and further in a direction where it seems like many want to celebrate abortion as a, a social good. It's how people, it's how good Republicans who can begin with this question about immigration and about whether or not we should just allow uncontrolled immigration, whether or not we should revisit our immigration policies in the United States, how we can allow ourselves to be driven further and further to the extremes until at some point we affirm or at least we don't condone the separation of children from their parents as a way to deter immigration. Now think about that. I don't see any way if we are followers of Jesus that we can embrace something that says that's an okay way. To prevent immigration. Likewise, I can't see Jesus celebrating abortion as a social good. But yet, we begin in these places and we move to the extremes. And we stop questioning our tribes and saying, wait a second. That's too far. We find ourselves being driven along by the wind and by those who seek to mislead us so that they can still have our favor or our vote or our support. And before long, the people in the middle throw up their arms and say, my voice matters not. Because these are the only two choices that folks want to throw out. Do we hear the importance of, of hearing Scripture? Do we understand the importance 
the importance of, of freeing ourselves from our echo chambers so that we are not so driven by a wind, so that we are not so driven that we end up in places that if we ever stopped and thought about it, we would know that Jesus would not endorse. Views that drive us apart rather than driving us together to say and to reframe the issue. So what is the real issue? And how might we get, if, if sanctity of life is important, how do we go about developing a strategy uh, that indicates that, that life is important uh, from conception all the way to death? How do we develop strategies that uh, seek to help people out of poverty? How do we show a love for those who are different than us without, uh, um, without causing undue stress on our national structure? How do we do these things? I wish I had all the answers and I could share them all with you today. But this is what I do know. Is that if we're going to get to the root of those problems, it's going to require people from different uh, perspectives coming together to say, what can we truly do so that we are seeking the good of other people, so that we are seeking to create a world in which humans can flourish? I assure you it is not by retreating to our tribes and only trying to implement what our tribe wants. It will just cause more and more and more problems. How in the world do we move forward? Well, I want to suggest that we, we can look to Jesus. We can look to Jesus in some of the ways that he acted. And in fact, when we get to Lent, um, we, we are going to look at Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem in the second half of, of Luke. And we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus did and how he interacted with, with people uh, who were um, followers of God and who weren't followers of God. And we're going to look and see what this way of the cross means. But for now, I want to invite us to hear these words from John chapter 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat and he taught them. The legal experts and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, placing her in the center of the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? And then John tells us, they, they, they really weren't looking for the right answer. What they were looking for right is they said this to test him. Because they wanted a reason to bring accusations against Jesus. I mean, if Jesus didn't stone her, he was breaking the law. And if he advocated stoning her, uh, then where is this grace and forgiveness that he was speaking about? But of course, um, 
if we've read scripture, we know that Jesus was a bit wiser than the Pharisees. And so Jesus, he bends down, scripture tells us, and he begins to write on the ground with his finger. And it says they continued to question him. So he stood up and he replied, whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. And then he bent back down and he started writing in the ground with his finger again. You know, I've just imagined what he writes with his finger. I, I just can imagine that he's writing in the finger um, other places where the people in the crowd who had failed to walk according to the ways of God. I can just imagine him writing them, and I can imagine when he, well, he was probably good at writing upside down so they could read it. I can imagine him writing in, in the dirt, and I can imagine as they see uh, the, the, the sin uh, that they struggled with, I can imagine them bowing their heads, dropping their stone, and slowly but surely leaving one by one. Because Scripture tells us those who heard him, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, beginning with the, the wise ones who, on stopping and reflecting, realized what they were doing. And finally, only Jesus and the woman were left. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, where are those that accuse you and condemn you? Is there no one here to condemn you? And she said, no, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. You see how Jesus interacted with people? Jesus acted with both compassion and conviction, with love and truth. Jesus refused to condemn the woman, and yet at the same time, he, he didn't say, oh, well... Humans here on earth will be humans. Just keep doing what you're doing. He spoke the truth in love. He challenges us to speak the truth in love. He challenges us today. For those within the Christian body especially, for those on the right or the left who, who want to grab the person who they are just absolutely uh, convinced is wrong and ungodly and unfaithful because they have opinions that are different when we want to grab them and grab our stone and haul them before Jesus and say, let's stone this ungodly person. Jesus challenges us to look within. He challenges us to look at those places where we have been misled, where we have embraced things which indeed we know. Jesus would not embrace. He challenges us to be compassionate and merciful toward other people. And I think he would challenge us this day. Rather than, than dividing and breaking into our camps, I think he would call us to, to, to work together to hear the different voices and to reframe these issues in a way that we could all work toward a place where humans can flourish. Does that make sense? Do you think that's what Jesus might want us to do this day? 
I hope that you'll reflect on this this week. As we begin to think about how we might speak, let us stop framing issues in false dichotomies. Let us stop entering or being in this echo chamber so that we allow ourselves to slowly be drawn into places and into views that we know that Jesus would not embrace. Let us be willing to speak our convictions in love and in humility, knowing that when we speak and when we come together, that all of us are more likely to understand how it is that God calls us to live in this day, in this age, and in this time in a way that honors Him and loves others, in a way that creates space for humans to flourish. May that be our goal as we try to navigate this participating in both our faith and our politics this day and every day. Let your darkness fear Show your mighty hand Heal our streets and land Set your church on fire Win this nation back Change the atmosphere Build your kingdom here We pray Sing that chorus with us one time Build your kingdom here Let the darkness fear Show your mighty church on fire win this nation back build your atmosphere build your kingdom here we pray I'm going to invite us today to be reminded um, that, um, I, that you are invited to share your gifts and your tithes. If you are worshiping online, I want to encourage you to uh, mail in your contributions to the church. If you're here, you're invited to drop them in the offering plate. But more than anything else, in these moments after the sermon, I want to invite us to reflect. To reflect on whether we have given all of ourselves to Christ to reflect on when we enter into the public sphere, do we operate and act or react out of fear and anger? Or do we operate and act out of a love for God and a love for neighbor that seeks to find common ground so that all humans, whether they embrace our faith or not, might have an opportunity to flourish and might be drawn to Christ? so that they might experience his compassion and his mercy and his forgiveness. And they might discover the way to real life. Let us go forth this day uh, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in all that we do, 
may we seek to love God and to love others. Go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.